Well, good afternoon and Merry Christmas. My name is Derek. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and it's a pleasure to be here on our final uh, uh, week of this series, The King Has Come. Uh, this song that we just sang is one of those that we talked about before that really has been our theme song of The King Has Come. And that's been my prayer is that today, as we look at the throne, that we will really dwell on the idea that Jesus, the King, has come and he reigns. Now, this is a time of tradition, and, and uh, Christmas Eve is one of those traditional things coming to a service. And maybe you, like us, are going to go home and have a meal after this, uh, open up some pajamas, put them on, and then watch a Christmas movie or something. You know, traditions. Now, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in Colorado. There was a church that had a tradition of a live nativity scene. And people would wait in line forever in the car, and I never understood it, just to drive by and see a goat, a llama, and some people freezing their tushies off um, out there in the snow. And I remember going through going, what's the big deal? But the nativity scene is one of those traditions, and it is kind of exciting. And so here is our nativity scene. Um, yours probably has more pieces. Uh, we've, we've lost, I think, the shepherds and an angel, but... We still have these three. We have a picture of these three. And here's my question is, who are they? Anybody know? Wise men? Yeah, we sing about them, right? There's some songs we sing around Christmas about the wise men. Uh, some, uh, We Three Kings of Orientar. Remember that one? I'm not going to sing it for you. Maybe Paul will sing it after. Um, but this is one of those traditional stories we find in the book of Matthew, and we're going to look in Matthew. So turn to Matthew chapter 2. This is the only place where we see these characters in the Bible, and they're going to really lay out a really beautiful picture of the throne. Now, we began this series looking at the manger. It's over there. But that God came. Emmanuel means God with us. You know, the name Jesus uh, means Yahweh saves. And so he comes, God in flesh, the incarnation, unlike any other religion claims anywhere, but that God came to us because we couldn't get to him. And then Jesus, because he, sa he came to save, went to the cross, paid the penalty for our sins so that we could have life in him. And when Jesus died, he rose from the dead three days later, spent some time teaching about the kingdom. If, if you read in the New Testament, that was his main theme, the kingdom. And then he ascended to sit on his throne. His throne, which by the way, he was already sitting on before, I mean, at the beginning of time, he was sitting on this throne. He vacated that throne uh, in a sense when he became human and set aside a piece of that. And now he sits back on that throne. And so we're going to look today at Jesus, our king, by looking at these three characters, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So who are these three? Or who are these characters, I should say? Are they kings? We sing songs about them being kings. The Bible doesn't actually say they're kings. It says they are wise men or magi. How many were there? Man, normally the kids just shout this stuff out. No answers. Well, tradition says there are three. But the Bible doesn't tell us there are three. There might be more. It says three because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so tradition says three of these characters came. Well, who are the Magi? The truth is we really don't know. Uh, but there's good evidence that they could very well be from Babylon and Persia. Uh, the word Magi means wise men, and it actually came from, it was originally from Persia. And so they were magicians. They were astrologers and astronomers. They watched the star. Now, they didn't have YouTube. Uh, they didn't have TV. So what they did was, you know, their entertainment was looking at the sky. Um, and looking at the sky, they could figure out, you know, what things are going. And they saw this star, the star that led them to Jerusalem where they met with the king. These magi, if they are these, these Persian wise men, they're kingmakers. And maybe that's why the confusion has come through, through generations of, you know, we three kings. They were actually king makers. They were, they were high in authority in Persia. And so when a new king needed to be you know, set in place, they were very involved in setting that person in place. So they were king makers, not so much kings themselves. And this plays into this story a little bit. Because these wise men from Persia, if that's where they're from, how would they have any clue about a coming Christ, a Jewish Messiah? These aren't Jews. Well, again, we, we don't know. But as you study the Bible, some things come out and it's like, oh, maybe, you know, there was a guy named Daniel, a prophet of God 600 years before, who had been taken from Jerusalem, taken from Judea to Babylon, where he served the kings there. And he became the chief wise man under the Persian king. And so quite possibly he, who had a lot of prophecies about coming times, maybe he passed on the stories of the coming Messiah that would be king, not just of the Jews, but king of all. So we're going to see, as we look at this, three characters and three different responses to Jesus. Jesus, the king. So here in the nativity scene, quick question. Is there something wrong with this picture? Where did the magi go? It says they went to a house. So we know the magi did not, they weren't there when he was born. It's up to two years later. Because later, Herod is going to be a little bit ticked off, and he's going to send to kill every baby two years and under. So again, they came a little bit later. But I want to see first Herod's response. So we see as we read this that when these magi came, all Jerusalem was in a stir. Why? 
Well, think about it. They came with an entourage. Again, these were high officials, king makers. They wouldn't go into an area like Judea, Jerusalem, unless they had some people with them. So they came with a little bit of pomp and circumstance, probably, and they go to the king there in Jerusalem, the king Herod, who was kind of a puppet king of the Romans. Um, the, the Jews weren't crazy about him. You know, he, he did some good things for them and they built them a temple and whatever. Uh, but he claimed to be king of the Jews. So here come these king makers saying, hey, we've come to see the king of the Jews and we're just paying our respects to you, but, but we're not coming to see you. We're coming to see the Messiah who's been born. And what is Herod's response? Violent opposition. He pretends right here. He pretends, oh, that sounds good. I would like to worship him too. After you worship, you know, come tell me. But if you look forward at verse 16, we see what happens later. Matthew 2, 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time when he had ascertained from the wise men that the star had appeared. So here, Herod's response, violent opposition. Can that happen today? When we share about Jesus, the only way to salvation, Jesus, God in flesh, who died on the cross, and you can have life by making him Lord, by making him king, that is not a popular message. Because here's the thing, the throne, right? Herod is sitting on that throne. Herod is king. Here come these magi saying, hey, we've come to see the king, and he's on the throne. If there's another king of the Jews, he has to get off that throne, and somebody else sits on the throne. That's the same message for us. Jesus came in a manger to go to the cross so he could sit on the throne to be king, so that he could be king of your life and of my life. And that's the message of the gospel, not just believe in this guy. The message of the gospel is God took on flesh because he loved you so much to solve the sin problem that we could not solve, to purchase us back to his kingdom, to be citizens of his kingdom in his family so he could sit on the throne of our lives. You know, when I grew up, I grew up in the church, but there was kind of this, this theme of not in the church, but other Christians in school, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be a Jesus freak. You know, I don't want to go too crazy with the whole religion thing. But Jesus' message is, I am to be king of your life. You know, there is no varsity Christian and junior varsity. You know, there's no, oh, I'm just saved, um, and it's no big deal. I don't really want to follow him, but I'm saved because I believe. And then there's, like, the varsity, the really good ones, the professional ones that actually follow. We're actually all called to follow. That was Jesus' message when he came. And I've seen this response over and over. I've seen this at funerals. Because if I ever do a funeral, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to share so that those sitting there, there's something the Bible says about being in a funeral. And you start thinking about your own, own mortality. And hearts become a little bit more open to what God would say. And so I've seen it where I start sharing about Jesus dying for their sins and being the only way. And apart from him, there is only hell and death. And people in the seats start grumbling loudly and their wives will grab them and say, be quiet. Is this you? Is there a peace in your heart that says, no, I want to be king. I want to be in charge of my own life. There was a young man years ago that we were at camp and he gave his life to Christ. And as we were sitting there and, and we prayed together, he started crying. Um, and, and I said, what are you feeling right now? And he said, fear. I said, fear? What, what are you afraid of? He said, I'm afraid 
because I have plans for my life, I'm afraid that God is going to change those plans. So, well, you nailed it. That is the right response because if he really is Lord of your life, then he's the one in charge. And I said, he might change those things. And pray, you know, and, and give that to him. But he had the, his heart understood what he was doing. He was getting off the throne and he was bowing before a new king saying, you get to choose, you get to decide. But there's a second response. And this, this is a group of characters we don't often look at when we look at this story. When they go to, when he, they go to Herod, they say, where is the Christ to be born? What does Herod do? He doesn't know. So who does he call? Uh, verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He took the spiritual leaders, the religious leaders there, who knew their Bible inside and out. They had it memorized. He brought all of them and all of them. He said, all of you, come here. Where is the king of the Jews to be born? The Messiah, the Christ. And you know what? They didn't have to go look it up. They knew. He said, oh, in Jerusalem. Or I'm sorry, no, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem of Judea, you know, uh, the city of David, that's where he's to be born. They knew it. They had it memorized. They quoted the prophet, verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means are least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he calls them. He says, where is the Christ to be born? They said, oh, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. Why do you ask, king? He's like, well, these magi, have been, they came probably 900 miles or so. It took a few months for them to get here. They've been following a star because they say he's been born. And what do these guys do? They go back to whatever they're doing. They go back to studying their Bible or something. They don't take the six-mile trek to Bethlehem. Six miles. How long would it take for you to walk six miles? Not that, yeah, okay, long, I guess, because we have cars now. But, But really... It's not that far. They could not make the effort to go six miles to see if this was true or not. They knew the prophets. They were looking forward to it. Now, here comes this entourage saying, he's come. And they're like, eh. They're passive. And so this is that second response, apathy. And I got to tell you this. Within the church in the United States, we have a lot of apathy. I would say this is the, the biggest shortcoming in the American church, is just kind of apathetic. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, okay, whatever. I'm religious. But Jesus didn't come to make us religious. Jesus came to give us life. Jesus came to be king. He said, I came that they would have life and have it abundantly. And that life is only found through an abiding relationship where Jesus is on the throne of our lives. And so I ask, is this you? Are you a little bit apathetic? Is Jesus on your list, but kind of far down? You know, is is church just a traditional thing that you do sometimes? Or praying is just, you do it when you're in trouble? And so you believe, but, but he's just really not a priority. Money is more important. Maybe work is more important. Your family is more important. Anything that comes before Jesus is an idol. And again, this is a lot of religious people that fall into this category. But again, Jesus, you know, we've gone through this this whole, these three pictures here. He was born in a manger, in flesh, humble, so he could go to the cross. 
Is that any little thing? I mean, remember the Passion of the Christ, that movie? We show clips of it when we do our, our, our Easter or our Good Friday service. But that picture of what Jesus did, that was no passive minor thing. He died so that he could give us life. And then he says, if anyone would come after me, they must take up their cross daily and follow me. Does that sound apathetic? No, no. He asked us to really follow. He asked to be king of our lives, and he earned it. But now let's look at the third response, the Magi. Now, again, if they came from Persia, they traveled 900 miles on camels or donkeys or something. 900 miles. They came a long way. That's a huge sacrifice to come. And what did they do? Let's let's look at uh, when they entered the house, verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him uh, gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. What did the Magi do? They didn't just travel six miles. They traveled 906 miles so that they could worship. That's what they did. They bowed. I mean, that's, that's why I like uh, this guy. He's on a knee. These kingmakers came to the king of the Jews, the king of all creation, and they bowed and they worshiped. That's why Jesus came. That's been my whole heartbeat in this series, is that we would simply worship. Maybe there's something new that we're learning in here. Great. But it leads us to worship. We are made to worship. And God made it possible. And what did they do? How did they worship? Well, they gave away their treasure. These three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Not only were they valuable, but they were symbolic. The gold. Gold is the symbol of, of royalty. They recognized that he was their king. The gold. The frankincense was used in worship. Yeah, it was a, a, an incense. And so they used that in worship. So they were worshiping, recognizing him as king. And then myrrh. Myrrh was used to, to embalm bodies. And later, when Jesus would be dead, when he would go into that, that tomb, he would be wrapped in myrrh and other spices. But they, they symbolically here were recognizing what he was going to do later in order to save. But they gave away their treasure. Here's the thing about worship. Worship should cost us something. You're here right now. That costs something. But worship costs. There's a story in the Old Testament where King David, he goes to this certain spot. Some, some big thing had happened. And he, he needs to worship God in this one spot where something happened. And he goes there to worship. He's going to build an altar. He's going to sacrifice some animals to worship God. And when he gets there, the owner of that property comes out to meet the king. And the king says, here's what I want to do. I want to worship God, Yahweh, the one true God. I need to worship him right here. And the guy says, great, you can have the land. And let me, let me bring the wood. I'll, I'll build this for you. I'll bring you all the wood you need. And here, you can take my animals and sacrifice them. And David looks at him and he says, you know, he probably said thanks. But he said, I'm not going to give to God that which costs me nothing. I'm going to buy it all and then do it. That's worship. Worship costs These magi traveled 900 miles. They gave away their treasure. And so let me ask, is this you? Does recognizing who God is, I mean, Christmas is so good for this, remembering some time of peace, hopefully just to dwell on him, does it lead you to worship? And worship costs. Jesus would say, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Do you sacrifice your time, your talents, your treasure? Is he really Lord? Later, when you go home, are you going to spend some time reading, you know, the, the Christmas story? That's a good tradition. If you don't do that, maybe try that. You know, remind your kids why we have Christmas. So here's, here's my final question for you. Look at this throne. Who is on the throne of your life? God. Good answer. <laughs> are you on the throne? And you come here and you hear this and you hear God wants everything. He wants me to get off the throne and let him sit on it and then I bow. Is that hard? Does that anger you? Do you not even really care? Or are you willing to take that step to let him truly be king of your life? Only then will we experience the abundant life he has for us. And let's not be confused. That abundant life isn't prosperity gospel. You know, it's not health, wealth, and all this good stuff. He might give you that great. But what he'll give you is peace, joy, all the things we sing about. Love, joy, peace, patience, all these things. He'll give you despite circumstances if we just let him be king. Uh, let me pray, and we're going to continue to worship. Lord Jesus, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for dying on the cross after coming as a baby and taking on flesh. Thank you that you now sit on the throne and you are such an easy king to love, such an easy king to worship. And God, I just pray for our hearts that this Christmas season, 2020, as it's wrapping up and it was so difficult and things are still quite difficult, that God, you would break into our hearts. God, you want our hearts. You didn't go through all of this just to create a religion. You did all of this because you want our hearts. And when you have our heart, all the worship sacrifice is no big deal to us because it's what we want to do. And so I just ask, Holy Spirit, stir our hearts to worship you. You are worth it. You are worthy. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm going to go stand in the back as we worship. If you hear this and you realize, you know what, Jesus isn't, on the throne of my life, but I want him to be? Or you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, come talk to me, or, or, or if you want to prayer for whatever it is, I'll be in the back.